Okay, so translation of the talk that was given last night, the night before Longpo's birthday. So this practice of sitting in meditation is something that has great importance because during the day we receive many sense objects. The objects that come in through our, our eyes, our ears, our nose, our tongue, our body. And then there's also the, the things that our mind receives. And our mind is the knowing element. There's the thoughts and the imaginations, the proliferation that goes on within our minds. And so these different thoughts and uh, proliferations that our mind receives, they drag our minds into states of happiness or suffering. And so just during one day, our hearts can feel many, many different things. And sometimes we feel uplifted, and sometimes we feel sad. And this just happens all throughout the day. And it's normal that the untrained mind will just run after all of these, all of these moods and sense impressions, because we receive so many of them. And so the rightly self-awakened Buddha, um, he came to, to understand this and, um, and taught us that our minds uh, can be so frantic and they can be so chaotic because we have delusion. And he was really intent to teach us that he taught right up to the very time of his passing away that when he, just, just before he entered into a final Parinibbana, um, there were a lot of monks surrounding him that were very interested and very keen to learn his Dhamma. And so he taught them to be well-established in heedfulness. So if we have mindfulness, then this shows that our minds have goodness within them and they have skillfulness within them as well. But if we don't have mindfulness, then Ajahn Chah taught that for that moment we're crazy. And this mindfulness is um, able to, to bring us into a state of collectiveness, to bring our minds into samadhi. And the samadhi in turn will help our mindfulness to be very full and to, be, um, to, to, to last long. So we practice with watching our breath, as the breath comes in and goes out, then, then we have mindfulness over this, and this is what we call anapanasati. We have the recollection there within our minds. Because our minds, they need to have an object, and um, our minds, they, they can't get free from any objects. So if we don't train ourselves, if we don't train our minds, then it's normal for them to just run out into the past and the future, and never in the present moment. If our minds don't have mindfulness over the breath, then they'll just be running all the time, and we'll lose a lot of the goodness that we have within ourselves. To give a simile, it's like a person who is, um, who's just been abandoned, and is, doesn't have anything. There's nothing that they can rely upon. But if we have mindfulness guiding our minds, then they'll be stable and they'll have Dhamma in them as well. If we have mindfulness there, 
then this will lead to samadhi and it will lead to wisdom arising too. And so all the arahats, they've trained themselves in this and they have these qualities of mindfulness, of concentration, of wisdom. They have mahasati, great mindfulness. Mindfulness which is full, which is complete. But they started off with just a little bit of mindfulness and that's what they had to work with. And so all of the great teachers in this tradition, they, they teach us to train ourselves in mindfulness, which in turn will give rise to concentration of the mind. And also to try and make these, the practice of these qualities continuous. So when we know our breath and we can watch our breath, then our minds will become firm and they'll become collected as well. And this will lead to wisdom. And when wisdom arises, we'll be able to expel the attachments, the upadana that is there within our minds. But this all happens step by step. And as we do it, we'll be able to receive an internal coolness, a coolness of our mind that, that is there temporarily. So samadhi, or the firm establishments of the mind, uh, we first learn about it through our study. So we learn that it has the factors of vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakata, which is the um, initial bringing of the mind to an object and then the sustaining of the mind of, on that object, and then rapture, happiness, and one-pointedness of the mind. And these are all the factors of first jhana. So at the beginning, the Krubhajans, the, the great teachers, they they teach us to bring our minds to just one object. So we can bring our mind to the meditation word of Buddha. So we have the vitaka there, the initial application of our mind with that word. And then vichara, the um, sustained application with the, the word Buddha. Or we can also use the mindfulness over the breath as well, having vitaka and vichara on the, using the breath as an object for that. As we do this, then piti, rapture, will arise. Or we can bring up the goodness and the skillful actions that we have done as our object of recollection as well. And this can also bring up um, states of rapture as well. So we recollect the goodness that we've done. We recollect the morality that we've been able to keep and all of the, the wholesome deeds that we've been building through our lives. And as we recollect this, then our minds will feel very happy and they'll be full of happiness. We can recollect that perhaps our son, our grandson or relative, uh, that they've ordained in the Buddhasasana. And so when we miss them and we think about them, we, what we're doing is we're actually thinking that they are now a member of the monastic Sangha. And when we do this, we recollect in this way, then our minds will become very happy. Even though we may be very far away from, from our son, when we think uh, about him, then our minds will feel very full, they'll feel rapturous. And the, these qualities of fullness, of rapture, they'll kind of take care of our minds and, and make us feel refreshed. In some places they teach that being attached to this feeling of, of uh, fullness of heart, that's, that's wrong, and you shouldn't do it. 
And is it correct to teach that way? Well, it is correct, but it's not completely correct. Because in the beginning, we need to depend on these things. So give a simile, it's like uh, traveling, whether we travel far or near. We use some means of transport to get there, whether it's a car or a boat or a plane. We need to use those things to travel to our destination. And if we don't use those things, then we're not going to reach where we want to get to. And so when rapture arises, then we know that it's arising. And we can see that our mind becomes peaceful and it becomes still, even though it's just temporary. And so we also need to keep our practice of mindfulness continuous with that. And as we do that, then samadhi will become very firm within ourselves, which will lead to even more rapture arising. <laughs> and rapture can come in many different kinds. We can experience goosebumps. We can feel the hair on our body standing up, or the, the hair on the back of our neck will stand up. And these are all ways that rapture uh, displays itself in the body. Or maybe tears will just start flowing down our faces because we just feel so full of goodness. And so this is normal for people that build up goodness through their lives to experience these things. Or maybe just when we're listening to the Dhamma, that can be a cause for us to feel uh, rapture. We could feel that our body expands to fill up the whole hall. Or maybe our, our body grows very, very tall. Or maybe we feel very light, we feel buoyant, and it's feeling like our body is just floating in the air. And these are all um, things that happen when the mind is full. At the beginning, when these, when these things display themselves, we may feel shocked or we may get excited over them. <clears throat> Our body feels very light, for example, and then a desire comes up to be able to experience that often and to be able to get to that state very quickly. But that desire is an obstacle which prevents samadhi, it prevents the mind from collecting. So what we need to train ourselves to do is to bring our minds to a state where they're, they're very calm, very, they're, they're at ease. The mind just, feels just right. We watch our breath coming in and going out, and we can do this in a continuous way. And then we can think to ourselves that if pity, if rapture arises, then we'll just let it arise. And if it doesn't arise, then there's no need to worry. And if we can look at it in this way, then that shows that we have good mindfulness. But as we practice more and we develop our skills more, then we'll be able to get our minds into states of peace on a regular basis. Our samadhi will become even stronger and we'll be able to sit for even longer periods of time. We'll be able to do walking meditation for longer periods of time as well. And so samadhi, the concentration of the mind, it has many, many, many good results. <coughs> So during our daily lives, we may have a lot of work to do, but even though we have many different duties, we should still try and maintain our mindfulness and keep it there, taking care of our hearts. And having mindfulness there throughout the day, it helps to supplement our evening sittings or our morning sittings. It helps to increase the stability of our minds. 
But even though some people, they may sacrifice a lot during the day, they may help a lot of other people, and they may keep their mindfulness there with them throughout all of that, if they miss out on their evening sitting or their morning sitting, it'll put the practice out of kilter. And so we should try and maintain a schedule as well. You know, just maybe do brief chanting, and then we can sit in meditation and bring our minds to our meditation object. And we keep our schedule. We do that at specific times in the day. And that'll help us to, to bring our minds to states of peace uh, more easily. And so we develop these, these, these qualities of vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakata, the, the factors of jhana. Of, uh, and so sukha, uh, happiness, what's that like? We know what happiness from the outside is like, what external happiness is like. So the happiness that we receive from sights, from smells, from sounds, tastes, or um, things that contact our body. And also from the things which enter into our minds. We, we know what that's like. But the inner happiness, the happiness that we receive from samadhi, that's a very solid happiness. It's a, a form of happiness that occurs when our minds gather together. And when that happens, it can feel like our bodies have turned into stone. They become very firm. They feel like they're very compact. And then from that, great joy arises, and our happiness will develop even further. It'll feel like externally our bodies are very solid, and also our minds become very still and solid as well. And any external stimulation, they won't be able to, to enter into and to, um, to stir up our minds. It'll be like there's uh, a wall surrounding us, protecting us from all of the different aramana, all of the different sense objects that can come in. So as we do this, as we develop our samadhi and our minds become very firm, then they'll gather into what we call ekakata, the, the one-pointedness of mind. They'll gather into one point. So even though we may still hear sounds in that state, we're not interested in them, and they won't annoy us. Our minds are very firm and very collected. They just have one object. The mind just has one object. And so when we come out of that, then we can, we can use that energy to contemplate things. And we can contemplate our bodies and see that our bodies just arise, last a while, and then they cease. And as we do this, then we'll see that with greater clarity. We'll be able to understand the, the natural states or natural conditions of um, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not self, very clearly. And this will happen a little bit at a time. As we do this, then joy, in turn, will grow even further. But it will be a joy that arises through understanding the Dhamma, through understanding the teachings of the Buddha. So the arising of a perfectly self-awakened Buddha into the world is something that is very difficult to happen. So we should use that opportunity, all of us, and try and practice to understand his teachings. 
And when we do this, then the faith that we have in the Buddha will become a very firm faith. Because it's a sata, a faith that arises through wisdom, that's there through wisdom. In the beginning, we may have a faith within us, and we probably all do have faith within us, uh, but it's a faith that depends upon belief, a belief in the Buddha. But the fact that we have this belief in the Buddha, it shows that we have quite a lot of bharami. We have a lot of um, spiritual qualities that we've accumulated in the past there within us in order to be able to have this belief. So having this faith, then we train ourselves. and we, As we train ourselves, our samadhi will become very firm and collected. And we'll be able to see the body as just the body. We'll be able to understand this clearly. We'll see that the body is just composed of elements. It's just a heap of earth, a heap of water, a heap of air, a heap of fire. And we'll, we'll see that that's really how things are. As we practice, then there'll be more peace within our minds. And as our minds are very peaceful, then we can recollect, say, bones. And we can look at a pile of bones and see that these have come from someone who has passed away. And as we look at them, then they can change. They'll change color. They'll change from being white and they'll get darker. They'll start turning brown until they just go back into the elements. We'll see the body is just composed of elements, of just earth, water, fire and air. And when we do this, it will feel like wisdom has arisen within us. But actually, this is still samatha practice. This is still the practice of calming the mind. As we recollect with a peaceful mind, and we see that the body is just composed of elements, then samadhi becomes even firmer. And as it becomes even further, then we, correct, then we um, look into the body again, and we study the body again. And we see that the body just it goes back into its elements, it breaks apart, and then the elements, they break apart, and they become empty. Our minds will be able to understand that these bodies, they're not self, they're just emptiness, they're void. And then this emptiness, it's, um, it it's arises within our minds as well. But it's also just a temporary emptiness that we're able to see for a period of time. So we'll be able to, to look into the body and we won't be able to find any permanent entity, any true self in there. Our minds, our bodies will become very light from seeing the true nature of the body. And we'll be able to know that our minds and our bodies are separate entities. And this is the beginning of our understanding into the, the Dharma of the Buddha. As we understand in this way, then the inner Buddha, or the inner state of awakening, will arise within ourselves. And this firstly arises from listening to the teachings of the Buddha, and from contemplating those teachings. But as we put those teachings into practice, then we'll be able to, to see that there within ourselves, to, to see the truth of those teachings. And this is the arising of the true Buddha, or the inner Buddha, within our hearts.
and the people that have realized the Buddha within themselves, this is what we call the Sangha. This is the birth of the Sangha. And as the Sangha then practices even more, then they'll be able to understand more clearly, to see into the truth, into the Dharma even more clearly. And the inner state of awakening will become even fuller in their hearts. And when this happens, then the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha will collect together into just one thing in their hearts. But all of this depends on the effort that we put into the practice. And so all of us here, we have a good opportunity that we've been born. Our minds have taken up these physical elements. And this has happened from the karma that we've produced in the past. But we use these physical elements that, we've, that our minds have come and attached to, to build goodness. We have faith in the Buddha, and so we build goodness in line with the energy that we have. If we have a lot of faith and a lot of energy, then we'll be able to have a lot of efforts into, into practicing until we see the truth of the Buddha's teachings for ourselves. When our mindfulness is very firm, our concentration is well established, then our panya, our wisdom, will become full and we'll be able to have all-around wisdom. The small amount of wisdom that we start with will become greater until we're able to see things in a way that's crystal clear. Until we can understand into Sakaya Ditti, which is a wrong view which has bound our hearts for a very, very long time. And we'll be able to see that Sakaya Ditti, it's like a, a gate that's barring us. That we need the path, we need Marga to destroy that gate. And so as Sila Samadhi Panya, as uh, morality, concentration as well as, and wisdom collect together, they'll be able to destroy this uh, Sakaya Ditti, Vitikicca and Sila Bhattabharamasa. These uh, three fetters of self-view, of attachment to rites and rituals and the skeptical doubts. Because it's natural for us at the beginning that our minds do this, that they impose the meaning of me and mine upon the different things in the world. And this is because we just don't understand the truth. And then from that imposing a me and a mine, doubts, many, many doubts arise, which produce a sense of hesitancy. And we're not able to really throw ourselves into the practice and allow the maga to destroy the kilesas. So as we practice further and our minds become peaceful, then wisdom will arise within us. And initially this wisdom comes up through the teachings of the Buddha and through the teachings of Ajahn Chah. And then through them teaching us, we're able to teach ourselves and we're able to teach our own minds to see the truth and to see that there really isn't any true self in anything, that it's just arising, lasting ceasing. All the different feelings of happiness and sadness that we may feel through the day. And there's a huge amount of these feelings that come up. 
we can see that these, these feelings of sadness, and these feelings of happiness, they've already gone out of us. They're, they're not in us anymore. They're not there in our hearts anymore. We don't have them anymore. They're just conditions that have arisen and they've ceased as well. So then when we contemplate, we can see that all of these things are just empty. And so we keep on trying, we keep on practicing. And we practice in this way of um, contemplating the arising, the lasting, the ceasing of phenomena until our minds become the Dhamma. In the beginning, we have to train ourselves in the many different aspects of the training that have been passed down to us. And we have to be very intent on keeping morality, whether it's the 227 precepts that a monk keeps, the 10 precepts of the novices, or the 8 precepts or 5 precepts of uh, the lay people. Um, we keep these because they're a fence that's, that we, we build around us to allow us to um, develop in carefulness and restraint. And as we develop restraint, then that external restraint will become internal restraint. And then when different emotions arise, we'll be able to resist them and we'll be able to collect our minds inwards. And this is especially careful when we're traveling. And maybe the lay people come and travel to the monastery, or maybe the monks travel out of the monastery. And when we're traveling, we really need to be able to collect our minds. It's especially important for monks to be able to collect and restrain themselves, because what we want to become and what we want to be as summoners are people who are restrained. So we really try and have this quality of restraint. And so even though the monks have many different precepts that they have to keep. It really just comes down to one thing. And the same with the lay people. The, the precepts that the lay people keeps, it just comes down to one thing, which is intention. Intention is morality. And then it's just natural when we keep morality for a while that our minds will become firm and they'll become connected. And then it's natural from that that wisdom will arise. As wisdom arises, then a true monk arises. And um, the word in Thai for monk means one who is exalted, a state of being exalted. And so the state of being exalted, it's something that you can't ordain someone into. And so it's possible then for a layperson to become a monk, for a layperson to be a monk, to be in that exalted state. It all just comes down to, to knowing the true nature of things. To be able to see that all form and all mentality is impermanent, is stressful, and not self. And when we see this, then this is the true monk arising in the heart. So therefore, seeing the Dhamma, that, that act of seeing the Dhamma, it doesn't discriminate between novices and old people, or children. It doesn't discriminate between monks and lay people. Everyone is able to see the Dhamma. 
we're all able to to be able to experience the peace that that seeing truth um, comes from. So we all have a very good opportunity, all of us here, and we should use that opportunity to practice. We all have faith in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha, and we're all disciples of Ajahn Chah, whether we're his sons or his daughters uh, or his grandchildren, or maybe this generation are his great-grandchildren. Some people here have maybe met Ajahn Chah, or maybe some people haven't met him, but we can all meet him through his teachings and through the methods of training that he taught. So we should all put these methods into practice. Ajahn Chah taught that the Buddha is actually still with us. He didn't really go into Nibbana. He hasn't disappeared from the world. He's still here with us. And if we practice, then we'll be able to see the Buddha. And we'll see the Buddha in the Dhamma. As we put effort into the practice, then we'll be able to understand what Ajahn Chah meant when he taught this. So all of us here, may we have great determination. We've all gathered together to express our gratitude and appreciation on the occasion of my birthday, which is tomorrow. But really, this birthday, it's just, it's just something that's true with regards to conventional reality. We can think that when we were born, how did we feel at that moment? And how did our mother and father feel then? When we were born, there were many different feelings that we had, many different uh, Vedana physical sensations, but we've all forgotten that already because it's just natural that a child forgets things that happen in their early lives. But what were those unpleasant physical feelings like? Were there a lot of them? When we were in our mother's womb, then what was that like? And how did that feel? There was probably a lot of unpleasant feelings being in there. And so there is difficulty and there is suffering inherent in birth. We can contemplate on the great hopes and the great wishes that our parents had for us when we were born, and also of all the difficulty that they had to go through in raising us. That through all the care that they took for us and um, all the efforts they put into to raising us, we were then able to go and study, and then we're able to practice. We practice the Dhamma, and maybe some of us are able to then ordain. And all of this comes from the care that our mothers and our fathers uh, took for us. And now that we've ordained, then we depend now on our mother and father in the Dhamma, our Kruba So depending on our mother and father in the Dhamma, we need to then maintain his standards of practice. So coming here together, we can recollect um, Ajahn Chah's birthday when he was still alive that there were many monks and novices that gathered together from, from near and far. And there were over 500 monks that gathered together for his birthday. And it was a very impressive and inspiring sight to see everyone come together like that. So everyone here, we may have a lot of love and respect for our teacher. 
And no matter how much love and respect we have for him, we need to display that and use that love and respect um, in the way of loving his standards of practice and putting those standards of practice into use. And this is the, the, like a deeper form of love. And it's very important to do this because those standards of practice, they lead us to developments and growth under the cool shade of the Buddhist religion. So maybe we all be intent in practicing together. And so for the months, we, we really try and practice. And we do this until we have a refuge for ourselves in our hearts. And when we have a refuge for ourselves, then we can become pillars that the lay people can then depend upon. So we need to really be intent in our practice. Whether we're monks or whether we're lay people, we need to have uh, great efforts. And so all of us who have gathered here, uh, gathered here, who have um, come today, may you all develop in the Dharma in your own hearts. There you are.